This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. Happy Monday. It's great to be back with you guys. Our phone number, if you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, a little bit later, we're going to have uh, Senator Ted Cruz joining us, but I wanted to go over a couple of headlines. I know we were um, celebrating the um, the memory and the bravery and the uh, the guts of those that uh, gave the ultimate sacrifice over the weekend honoring them with some time off to acknowledge their sacrifice and i hope everybody enjoyed that restful weekend and enjoyed our uh, special programming last night we uh, put together a, a compilation of of interviews that i hope you enjoyed that was a great job by our production team in the studio and some of the headlines today the big the biggest story right is that you've got a deal. A deal was made. And listen, when McCarthy does something good, I, I like to shout him out and say, hey, great job, McCarthy. And when McCarthy does something not so good, I'm going to shout him out the same way because that's what we do here. And I've got to say, I feel like he capitulated. I feel like this wasn't the, the best deal. Let's see how far it goes. Uh, we're going to get into that a little bit later with Steve Moore as well, former White House economic uh, uh, chair. And uh, we're also going to talk about some relationship stuff later. So I'll unpack that a little bit later. Uh, but a lot of conservatives are very, very upset, and, and rightfully so, right? I mean, it's just, this is not a, uh, a, a question of, of happy uh, or upset. It's, I don't think you can be happy, right? I think some people are saying, look, we're going to vote to save X amount of dollars. I've heard this argument made. Uh, I think the the reality here is that we gave quite a bit up to get to where we are. So, again, we will unpack that. But I want to just give you some of the reactions that I've heard throughout the day. And um, one of them is uh, 
is going to be Speaker McCarthy, right? I want you to hear what Kevin McCarthy had to say, uh, saying that this was the, the responsible thing to do. Check this out. Well, look, uh, it's a different Congress. It's a new day. It's not that you have to pass the bill to find out what's in it. You've got 72 hours. This isn't a 1,000-page bill. This is 99 pages. And this is different than we've ever had before. We're actually going to spend less money this year than we spent last year. And your viewers have heard me give this analogy before. A debt limit is like the family having a credit card, but you've been charging it up every year and just keep lifting the limit. This year's different. We now say we're going to spend less. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't able to look at all what we spend our money on because the mandatory spending, Social Security, Medicare, that's all off to the side. So I can only look at about 15 percent of what we spend our money on. So what we did is in elements like non-defense, that's going to go below 2022 levels. So that's a very positive. But the other thing we did, we put ourselves on a spending plan. We cap how much we can spend for the next six years with government. But we also did something different. In this family, we may have a child that uh, able-bodied, not married, no kids, but he's sitting on the couch collecting welfare. We're going to put work requirements on that individual, so he's going to have work requirements. He's going to get a job. And it's- so getting a job, listen, you know, Reagan said it best that the best anti-poverty program is a job, and this is why there's always a focus on job creation. Of course, uh, some in Congress didn't uh, appreciate all of the the positive aspects that McCarthy was rattling off. Again, I like McCarthy and I like him a lot, uh, but I think this deal just wasn't the right deal. And Congressman Byron Donalds also had a lot to say about this. Listen to this. This bill has no cap in raising the debt, just a date in the future. We have no idea what that number is going to look like. Some people are saying $4 trillion. Some people are saying $3.5 trillion. This bill in year one might cut $12 billion if you just want to be generous. So who here thinks it's cool to cut $12 billion in exchange for $4 trillion? I don't think that's cool at all. This bill actually keeps the Biden baseline intact for the federal agencies. The Republicans in Congress have been saying for months that we need to get back to pre-COVID spending levels. This bill canonizes post-COVID spending levels brought to us by Joe Biden and the Democrats. This bill keeps all of Joe Biden's policy, all of Joe Biden's spending intact. This bill does nothing for the Green New Deal subsidies that are going to cripple our electric grid. Now, the 20 members of uh, the House that were in opposition to McCarthy early on, right, when he got in, when, when it was time to vote for him as Speaker, uh, they they're back at it and they're saying, hey, look, this is what's going on. Listen, I, I'm not blaming them in any way. I support what they're saying because I, I don't think McCarthy sold out. And I think they're saying that he he's a sellout here. Or the deal is a sellout. Uh, I think he just didn't go hard enough on the negotiation. But that's uh, th- that triggered lots of response. You got Senator Rand Paul saying fake conservatives agree to fake spending cuts. Uh, This deal will increase mandatory spending by 5%, an increase in military spending, 3%, and maintain current non-military discretionary spending at post-COVID levels. No real cuts to see here. Conservatives have been sold out once again. Uh, The bill's text has not been released as uh, as of yet, or I think it might have been released about a little while ago, but um, I got to double check on that. But as of the time of this tweet that I'm looking at from Representative Thomas Massey, 
He says the bill text is king and bill text hasn't been released yet. And that was uh, earlier today. And of course, you know, this is the they will have uh, 72 hours to read the bill before they get to vote on it. And this is why he's he's um, speaking to the fact that they hadn't gotten it yet. Now, of course, uh, McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy told reporters on Sunday that both sides would be disappointed with the bill because they will not be getting everything they wanted saying, quote, we're finalizing an agreement with the president that I believe is worthy of the American people. McCarthy said it doesn't get everybody everything they wanted, but in a divided government, that's where we end up, McCarthy said. So that's where we are. Anyway, there is more to come straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. Well, look, the reality of these spending caps is that they can always be overridden in the future if there is uh, a really strong need for something. We saw it with Ukraine, where we got additional funding as necessary to support uh, the efforts in Ukraine. Uh, we've seen it in the past when we need additional money for uh, natural disasters or, or whatever the case may be. Look, the reality of governing is that you make a plan, you do your best. To, to make a common sense plan, and then you deviate from it as necessary, depending on the needs of the country. Uh, the president is realistic about that. But again, this level of defense funding reflects what the Pentagon thinks is a, an adequate level of funding going forward. So we're satisfied with that level as well. That is uh, Bharat Ramamurti. He's the deputy director of the National Economic Council. And he says that the spending caps can be overridden later, if need be, because that's how this deal is made. So in effect, the, the caps that the 1% caps that McCarthy's put into the deal can, can be overridden by the Biden administration at, you know, what, however they want to justify these things. So in effect, it seems to me there are no guardrails on spending in the deal. And I think that's why everybody's so upset because we want to see a number say, Hey, look, you can't spend this much. You can't go beyond this. But the beyond this they picked was a date, not a number. Right. I guess a number is a date if you want to get, um, you know, into the splitting of hairs. But saying that you can't spend past 2025, um, that's that's very different. Uh, or you can spend until 25, but you can't spend beyond that until you, you know, reauthorize or do whatever it is they have to do. It, it seems to me like um, Biden is going to have a a spending spree on his hands, right? Because what are you going to do? This is the deal that they made, right? In many ways, a deal with the devil. Now, uh, Representative Debbie Dingell, I'm not making fun of her. That's really her name. Debbie Dingell, a Democrat from Michigan, she says that her colleagues were held hostage in the making of the deal. Now, what's interesting about this is that she's a Democrat, and you've got a lot of Democrats that are very upset. You've got a lot of Republicans that are very upset, which makes me wonder, is this thing dead on arrival, or does it fly right through? I don't know the answer, but I'm, I'm curious to know. And I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with Senator Ted Cruz shortly to, um, to get his take on that. But here's Representative Debbie Dingell. 
You know, I'm still in undecided. Uh, we cannot not pay our bills. We can not. I, I, I think many of us right now are feeling, are very angry that we have been held hostage, that we find ourselves in this situation. I do not believe compromise is a dirty word, but we're so... I spent my entire day yesterday in meetings with various White House officials and then other colleagues trying to understand what the implications were. So I'm going to go back to the Hill uh, today, going to meet with a lot of my colleagues and and uh, get to where we need to go. I know we have to pay our bills. That is probably the most overriding uh, thing driving me. But as I said yesterday, I, there are parts of this bill that I would not vote yeah. for if they were a freestanding bill. And the whole process is not one that is the way that the government should operate. We need regular order. That, to me, Congresswoman, sounds like a very reluctant yes at this point. Am I reading that right? I'm not going to tell you one way or the other because uh, I'm going to keep asking questions. And if mm -hmm. I learn anything that's very disturbing today, I've asked right. them, you know, I want to understand how precedent setting this bill is. Mm. How is this going to impact future bills? What are those domestic spending cuts? What are those programs really going to cut? Mm -hmm. Are seniors going to be hurt? And there are some real questions that I have. So, um you know, I, it, it, I think undecided is probably the safest place to okay. put me. <laughs> undecided yeah look obviously uh you know i i was listening to a report earlier uh congresswoman lauren bobert from colorado was saying that while there are some democrats that are saying publicly that they're disappointed they're very happy to have this carte blanche spending until 2025 and that they're already whipping votes and anybody that's really on the fence they're going to get their piece of pork so that they can you know go along to get along so i don't think anybody's really upset with it um maybe debbie dingle is but I don't think many of them are just my opinion. But again, that there, there's a cavalcade of people out there saying that's what it is. You got Congressman Jim Himes, Democrat from Connecticut. He's asked uh, if Democrats are disappointed in the debt ceiling bill. And uh, he says, look, it, it may end up getting some Democrat votes. I, I can't predict this one. I don't know. Uh, maybe it is dead on arrival and brings him back to the table. Who knows? But listen to this. Hakeem Jeffries said to him that their Democrats are mad because there's nothing for them in this bill. What do you make of it? Yeah, that's right, Shannon. I mean, I think there's there's two problems with the bill. Number one is, yeah, um, none of the things in the bill are Democratic priorities. You you know what those priorities are, because in the last two years when we controlled the House, we capped insulin at $35 for seniors. We did uh, drug price controls. We passed the biggest uh, infrastructure investment in our country ever. We addressed climate change. Those are our priorities, and not a single one of them are in this bill. Now, that's not a surprise, given that we're now in the minority. Um, but the, the obvious point here, and the Speaker didn't say this, um, the reason it may have some traction with some Democrats is that it's a very small bill. It's a very, very small bill. Now, um, you know, had the bill looked anything like what the Republicans passed on the floor where they rescinded all of the money designed to create an electric battery industry in this country, designed to uh, further reduce drug prices, uh, you would have had unanimity against it. But, um, you know, the IRS money is a pretty good example. Why the Speaker, by the way, wants to defend taking IRS police off the block so that more people can uh, tax you can cheat on their taxes is beyond me, but you had the numbers right. You know, $80 billion sent in that direction over a period of time. A very, very small fraction of that has been uh, rescinded. So, again, not a bill that's going to make any Democrats happy, but it's a small enough bill that in the service of actually not destroying the economy this week may get Democratic votes. 
You know, rhetoric is a hell of a thing. And you've got this congressman here, Jim Himes, Democrat from Connecticut. And I got to say, I would love to call him a moron or something like that. But the reality is, he, he you know, for, for those who aren't paying attention, he, he sounds almost like he's making some sense to somebody, right? Doesn't make sense to me. I hear what he's saying. And I hear him saying, I can't believe that uh, when he says the congressman's talking about McCarthy, uh, saying that I, I, I don't, I, he doesn't understand McCarthy's take on what, what's so bad about 87,000 new IRS police. He says so that people can go cheat on their taxes as if this is a, a major problem that we're having. And it, this, is, this is, should be scary to everybody. When your government is investing $80 billion so that they can have 87,000 new armed IRS cops to go after you, to go after me, to go after the American people so that they can do more of the dirty work that the FBI has been doing against their, anybody's political enemy, right? Whoever's in charge. Uh, it, it's, it's a sad thing to see. 8334-VALDEZ. Let's go to John in Elyria, Ohio, WNIR. John, go right ahead. Hi, how you doing? Hey, I Wonderful, just want to add one comment to, this, to the discussion and I can't give you an exact date because it's been ages since I read the article and I don't have the link saved. Maybe maybe you can find it. About 10 to 12 years ago, the CBO reported that high government spending was going to be necessary for the foreseeable future in order to keep the economy stable. And they, and they indicated fairly long term. They weren't saying foreseeable future as in two to four years. They were saying quite a while down the road. Maybe you oh, can find sure. the article. I haven't been able to find I, it. it was- I, I, I wouldn't know where to look for it, but I can tell you, John, that I spoke with somebody from the Netherlands maybe like three years ago on, in January, and uh, I, he was talk- we were talking about taxes or whatnot, and he called in to say that he lived, uh, maybe it was, I don't know which, if it was the Netherlands or a neighboring country, but he had emigrated to the United States, and um, he, he was his story was that of, He'd come to the United States and then went back to visit his mom when he was coming back home to the U.S. from visiting his mom overseas, that there was a SWAT team that came into the airport. And, you know, he thought, oh, man, I wonder what's going on. Then he said, oh, I know exactly what's going on. And he walked us through it over the phone, called in just like you're calling in now. And what was happening was they were tax collectors armed with rifles and full riot gear, SWAT gear. And they took this guy down like a felony criminal because he had not satisfied his debt uh, with taxes and their tax uh, rate, I think was something like 60% or some, some ridiculously high number. And they locked him up because he was attempting to go on vacation and they were fearful that he might not come back. And this is how so many of these wonderful um, uh, socialistic paradises that Bernard Sanders always talks about. That's how they operate, John. Well, Not thank really you for your call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody on WNIR in Elyria, Ohio. But yeah, you're right. It's an excellent point. We will need more and more money coming into the government coffers in order to support more and more people. And as the border continues to be out of control, as um, the FBI continues to do whatever it is they do, and you know, kudos to McCarthy for holding uh, Chris Ray in contempt of Congress. That's a big deal. And we're going to get that and uh, a reaction to a couple of other items when we come back with Senator Ted Cruz. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. It's America at Night, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ.
Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Welcome back. Our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And President Biden has uh, issued a statement. I want you to listen to this. He says, our bipartisan budget agreement protects congressional Democrats and my key priorities and legislative accomplishments, including the bipartisan infrastructure law, the Chips and Science Act, the PACT Act, and the Inflation Reduction Act the most aggressive action in our history to tackle the climate crisis, invest in environmental justice, and create millions of clean energy manufacturing jobs. Now, that's not the only tweet where he says he's protecting his his legacy here. He goes on to say that this uh, protects President Biden's key priorities and accomplishments in a tweet that was put out uh, around 8 p.m. So I think, man, this is a disaster. Now, as promised, We've got United States Senator Ted Cruz on the line. I'd love to get his reaction to it. Senator, welcome. Rich, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me tonight. Oh, you bet. It's always a pleasure, sir. And uh, what's what's your, your take on this um, on this budget deal? Is this McCarthy caving? Is this uh, a capitulation or is it really a compromise? What say you? Well, I, I got to say, you're, you're laying out how Joe Biden is doing a, a really effective job lobbying every House Republican and every Senate Republican to vote no on this deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, I, I, I think House Republican leadership got too little and gave up way too much. This, this gives a blank check to Democrats. It gives $4 trillion in debt uh, in exchange for very, very modest reductions, you know. The initial bill that the House passed uh, was a serious bill that that made real progress to addressing the out-of-control spending and debt that we've got in this country that Joe Biden and the Democrats are responsible for. Unfortunately, this agreement gives up almost all of the high ground that the House adopted. And, And Biden's right. He preserves his priorities. He preserves the massive increase in spending that was justified mm-hmm. based on COVID and he locks it in in perpetuity. I, I, I think we need to go back to the table and actually make more significant progress towards solving the problem. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the fact that there's, um, and you, you mentioned, uh, you know, some modest, um, limitations, but it, it seems like there's going to be, uh, the ability to do carte blanche spending until 2025. Cause that's really what they put was yeah. a date on it. Not not an actual limit. How, how, do, you, no, that's how, exactly how do you make a deal right. like that? Well, and, and there are two ways previously that Congress has, has raised the, de- the debt ceiling. The right way to do it is to set an amount and think about it like your credit card, where you have a credit limit. And when you hit it, uh, you can't go any further without having some real discussions. That's what Congress has used the debt ceiling for, because it's been the only thing effective 
to rein in out-of-control spending in Washington. But what this deal does, it doesn't set a limit. There's no dollar amount. It could be $1 trillion or $4 trillion or $10 trillion. It instead just sets a time and says everything you borrow between now and 2025, Katie bar the door, no problem from our end. And, and I think that's a mistake. I, you know, I think it's also a mistake. There are elements in this bill that, that are framed to be budget reductions, but most of them are waivable by the White House. Uh, others of them are optional. There, there are some advantages in terms of permitting reforms, but again, those the administration can get around. And, and so I am glad that House Republicans began by standing united at the outset. Joe Biden spent two months ignoring the process, refusing to negotiate, insisting he wouldn't talk at all. In fact, he jetted off to Europe uh, as, as the deadline was approaching. And now, unfortunately, the deal that, that has been agreed to, I think, doesn't do nearly enough to address the existential threat we're facing. Now, you mentioned that you feel like Biden's doing an excellent job lobbying every House Republican uh, to, to vote against the bill. And I think you're right. Uh, do you think that'll actually happen? Do you think the House will reject the bill? You know, I don't know. Uh, we'll see how the votes shake out. Uh, I think many, if not most of the conservatives in the House will vote against it. I think many of the Freedom Caucus, if not all of the Freedom Caucus, mm -hmm. will vote against it. Obviously, House leadership is lobbying vigorously to pass it. Uh, when I put out a, a tweet this weekend criticizing the deal within minutes of my putting the tweet out, Kevin McCarthy was on the phone with me trying to make the case for why he thinks it's a terrific deal. And, and look, I, I respect Kevin, but I think what, what was arrived upon gave the White House far too much. And, and so it's going to come down to, number one, the Democrats, and I think virtually all of the Democrats will vote for it. The White House is whipping for it. Democrat leadership is whipping for it. And we'll see if there are enough Republicans who vote for it. I can tell you in the Senate, unfortunately, Senate Republican leadership is eager to pass it. But remember, this is the same Senate Republican leadership that in December rammed through a massive nearly $2 trillion omnibus bill to lock in Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer's priorities before we had a Republican House. That made no sense. And so unsurprisingly, that same leadership thinks $4 trillion more in debt is, is just hunky-dory. So $4 trillion more in spending. We're bringing back the COVID levels of spending. And uh, I guess this puts the IRS agents that are the armed IRS agents back on the table, as well as a, a bunch of other pork barrel projects. Let's, let's uh, think about the, the impact of that for a second, because I think it only delays the inevitable, right? We're eventually going to be facing default again if we continue spending like this. Plus, we're going to exacerbate more inflation, no? Undoubtedly. I mean, if you look at where we are, so in 2017, which was just five years ago, the total federal budget was about $4 trillion. We were taking in about $3.3 .3 trillion in tax revenue. That means doing some quick math, the deficit was about $700 billion. Mm -hmm. Then what happened between 2017 and now that grew, the total budget grew from $4 trillion to $6.6 trillion. That is a massive increase. That is a growth of more than 50%. Now, tax revenues have grown as well. Tax revenues have grown to nearly $5 trillion, even after the 2017 tax cuts. Remember, 
all the Democrats and all the corporate media said the tax cuts were going to cause federal revenues to plummet. It turns out every word of what they said was wrong. It was false. And federal tax revenues have gone from $3.3 trillion to just under $5 trillion because the economy grew. But it's still not enough because Democrats went on a spending spree, and now we've got – we went from $20 trillion in debt just five years ago to $32 trillion today. That is irresponsible. We are literally bankrupting our children and grandchildren, and unfortunately – this deal does too little to fix that problem. Now, m- moving to um, national security, Christopher Ray was uh, held in contempt. We've seen people be held in contempt before, like Eric Holder, and then we've seen people like folks from from the Trump administration that were, you know, put in leg irons, like Peter Navarro. Uh, what do you think the outcome is for Christopher Ray? Well, unfortunately, I think the Biden Justice Department will utterly ignore this. This has been the most lawless, the most political and partisan Department of Justice we have ever seen. The last book I wrote late last year was called Justice Corrupted, How the Left Has Weaponized Our Legal System. And in the book Justice Corrupted, I walk through how under Barack Obama, the Department of Justice and the FBI and the IRS, the alphabet soup of Washington was weaponized and politicized and now Under Joe Biden, it is open and brazen. And so, yes, Congress, the House of Representatives, held Chris Wray in contempt because he refused to comply with a subpoena. But that contempt holding is not self-enforcing. The Department of Justice has to prosecute it. And Mm -hmm. sadly, I think the chances that this DOJ under Joe Biden will bring that prosecution, those chances, I think, are 0.0 percent because they operate as as the enforcement arm for the DNC, not the way the Department of Justice and FBI is supposed to operate, which is nonpartisan and simply enforcing the law. Folks, we're on with Senator Ted Cruz. And uh, straight ahead, I'm going to get a couple of quick reactions on the um, LGBTQ bill coming out of Uganda. And AM radios, they're back in American cars, but for how long? Don't move a muscle. It's Senator Ted Cruz and Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our guest, United States Senator Ted Cruz. Senator, uh, tell us uh, what's going on with this. Um, you're taking a lot of heat for opposing an LGBTQ bill in Uganda that's calling for the death penalty for, for that community. Tell us about it. Well, look, I think this law in Uganda is atrocious. Uh, it provides for the death penalty for what they call aggravated homosexuality. It it provides for lifetime imprisonment for sexual activity that is homosexual in nature. Now, now my view, I am as fed up as everyone else with the radical trans agenda being forced down Mm -hmm. our throats, being forced on our kids. And I think we need to fight that at every stage. But at the same time, I think what two consenting adults do in their own bedroom is their own damn business. I'm actually quite libertarian on that. And the idea that you would have the police come lock people up for life imprisonment for what consensual adults are doing, I, I, I think that is 
insane. I think it makes no sense. And, and I think I, I think we should see widespread agreement to denounce it as, as not being a just law. And I also want to, and I agree with you. I think, you know, it's one thing to tell, you know, two adults what, you know, what they can and can't do. It's a whole other thing, this woke agenda with the, uh, the transsexualization of America. But I wanted to also, I wanted to thank you, right, on behalf of me and I think all of my colleagues and many Americans. I know you, you, um, you, you held the line on this, um, I, I wouldn't say it's a ban, but uh, they were trying to remove AM radios from certain cars and I know Congress got involved and I'm never a fan of government intervention into, into private industry, but here I think there was a real national security implication because when, when all else fails, there's AM radio (laughs) and, and you need it, especially when you're in your car. Um, how did we get to this victory and how long do you think we'll have it? Well, look, we, we have had a major victory. Um, what we were seeing is multiple car makers that were, announcing they were going to pull AM radio from their new cars, primarily electric vehicles, but it was, it was it, uh, moving to, to gas-powered vehicles also. And, and I think that would be a terrible development. Nationally, mm-hmm. there are about 4,500 AM stations nationwide. About 82 million Americans listen to AM radio every month. It is incredibly useful in a time of national emergency, in a time of a disaster, when you see the power go down, FM radio goes down sometimes, and often the emergency instructions people need, AM radio is the only way they can get it. Not only that, AM radio is, is an oasis where talk radio flourishes. And I think a big part of the reason you saw these big companies pulling AM radio down is they don't want people listening to you. They don't want people listening yeah. to Sean Hannity or Mark Levin. They don't want talk radio. They want to control the airwaves. And, and so I joined with Ed Markey, who may be the most liberal Democrat in the entire U.S. Senate. And the two of us introduced a bill in the Senate to require that AM radio be made available so consumers have a choice. And I got to say, within days of our introducing uh, that bill, Ford Motor Company, one of the biggest motor companies on the face of the planet, reversed its announcement and said it would include AM radios on all new cars, that's a big victory for consumers. You ought to be able to decide what you want to listen to. Amen to that. And I thank you again for your, your effort on that. Now, I know that one of my talk radio colleagues and you have a, a podcast that you do together, my buddy Ben Ferguson. Tell us about the podcast and let everybody know where they could uh, check in on it. Well, we do a podcast three days a week called Verdict with Ted Cruz. You can get it anywhere you get your podcast. Ben Ferguson and I do it together. And, and I got to tell you, Rich, Every week we are beating CNN. We've had over 50 million downloads. And so we take people behind the scenes on what's happening in Washington, what's happening in the Senate. And and we take them behind closed doors to understand what's really going on. And so you can download Verdict with Ted Cruz any place you get your podcast. It comes out every Monday, every Wednesday, every Friday. And uh, and we're going to keep doing it to bring people uh behind the scenes to understand what's really happening and how it impacts your life. All right. And let everybody know your website in case they want to check out the campaign website and uh, drop a donation, say hello. Absolutely. Our website is tedcruz.org, tedcruz.org, tedcruz.org. I'm running for reelection and the Democrats have set me up as their number one target. So go to tedcruz.org. I need your help to keep fighting for your rights. Help him out, folks. Senator Ted Cruz, I want to thank you for being with us. Godspeed. Thank you, my friend. Yes, sir. 
All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. Our number, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And if you want to jump in before we uh, run out of time, it's 8334-VALDEZ. And I wanted you to hear a quick clip of what President Trump said over the weekend with respect to birthright citizenship. It was part of his plan to make America safer uh, once he secures the borders, uh, should he be reelected again. And I think his plan on attacking part of the root of the problem is, uh, is a good one. Listen to this. My policy will choke off a major incentive for continued illegal immigration, deter more migrants from coming, and encourage many of the aliens Joe Biden has unlawfully let into our country to go back to their home countries. They must go back. Nobody could afford this. Nobody could do this. And even morally, it's so wrong. My order will also end their unfair practice known as birth tourism, where hundreds of thousands of people from all over the planet squat in hotels for their last few weeks of pregnancy to illegitimately and illegally obtain U.S. citizenship for the child, often to later exploit chain migration to jump the line and get green cards for themselves and their family members. It's a practice that's so horrible and so egregious, but we let it go forward. At least one parent will have to be a citizen or a legal resident in order to qualify. We will secure our borders and we will restore our sovereignty starting on day one. Day one. And that's El Trumpito, Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States. And he's um, back at it, right? I mean, he started off his campaign calling for these things. He's back at it. And I think it's a look, I, I think it's a good idea. I, I've never I mean, I understood at the time they put it in because it made sense. There were people coming in, bringing their families and sponsorship. But it, it was a different time and it was a different way of doing it. Right. It was a hey, you want to bring your aunt, your uncle, your grandma, whatever it was. You had to prove that you could take care of them. There was like public charge rules. We, we, we don't enforce any public charge rules now. Anybody who wants to can come. But that was his announcement that he made on the anniversary, the 125th anniversary of the United States versus Juan Kim Ark, the Supreme Court case that established the constitutional right to birthright citizenship. So I don't know uh, what, what uh, approach he take to getting around the Supreme Court, I guess they'd have to invalidate that that decision, which uh, not impossible. We saw what happened with Roe. And I think it would be a really good idea. But his proposal echoes this this hope that we all have, I think, where we'll be able to stem the tide of illegal immigration into the country. And I think it's it's a uh, it's a good idea. And of course, there's folks 
listening now to me saying, oh, I can't believe you like that. Oh, I do. I do. I think it's a good idea. I, I don't think we should end immigration in our country, but I think we should tighten it up for sure. And I think it should be merit based and, and something that benefits the country, not not the person that's coming in. Right. I mean, that's just ultimately that's how it is. Anyway, more to come on that a little bit later on. We'll get to that at the maybe not at the top, but some at some point in hour number three, we'll circle back on that topic. And of course, I'll take your calls on it. 833-482-5337. But right now, more debt ceiling from a former director of the White House Economic Council. He was there for Reagan and for Trump. Steve Moore is scheduled to join us next. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and it's my pleasure to be here with you. Join our late-night conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And the big story of the day is that Biden and McCarthy have reached a deal on the debt ceiling, and everybody's upset. You've got Republicans that are upset. You've got Democrats that are upset. Uh, McCarthy thinks it's the best deal ever, saying that it's the largest cut in the history of cuts, uh, targeting $2.1 trillion in cuts. Um, folks from everywhere are critical of this. And um, I'm, we're going to get to the bottom of it momentarily. We're going to check in with Steve Moore, former White House economist. But first, I want you to hear what McCarthy had to say. Right, because at this point, you guys only control, Republicans only control one half of one branch of government. <laughs> so for you to get what you got was great for the most part because, you know, the Republicans did much better in this than the Democrats did, obviously. Uh, and, and to your point, uh, Joe Biden never wanted to negotiate, but you forced his hand. However, because there are going to be, you know, a bunch of Republicans on the big vote are going to vote no. You're going to need a bunch of Democrats to say, you know what, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm going to vote with Kevin McCarthy. Well, normally when you make an, when, when you come to an agreement with two different parties, you have people on both parties vote for it. But the difficulty that's different than any time before is the Democrats will tell you there's nothing in the bill for them. Nothing. The president numerous times, he kept asking for tax increases, new government programs, and I just said no. And he says, well, there's nothing in it for us to vote for. I said, well, there's debt ceiling increase we can go forward on. I'm not sure people want to go past that deadline and interest rates go up and others. Right. I think this is a good first step, but we can go much further. And I have a plan for that coming forward where we can look at the entire budget and tackle our problems, especially in a bipartisan way. This is reasonable. This is sensible, but it's also a responsible thing to do. You've already heard some of my thoughts on this, politically speaking. However, 
I want to get the nuts and bolts of it with a real expert. We've got former White House economist Steve Moore. He's the uh, chairman for the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. He's the host of More Money on WABC Radio in New York City, and he's a heck of a guy. Steve Moore, welcome. Hey, Rich. It's so good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Likewise. Thank you. And I want to I wanna get your take on this because McCarthy's uh, telling one side of the story. You've got every conservative in the House telling another side of the story. And it seems to me that there's no spending limits or real cuts, uh, but just a time limit that that Biden can spend what he wants until 2025. And um, the $130 billion that they had earmarked for COVID, that still will be spent. And uh, we don't know if the House is going to reject the bill. What say you? (laughs) Boy, it's been a tumultuous day as we learn more and more of the details of what's actually in this bill. And I don't think we still know all the facts uh, of, Mm. you know, what is hidden in this agreement and what is not. But uh, let me start by saying this, that uh, because, look, I want to try to be very balanced in terms of uh, this discussion about what I like about it, what I don't like about it. I've had some of my conservative friends yelling at me because I've said some nice things about it. And, you know, uh, some of the Republicans in Congress are angry at me for saying some things that are not so nice, but I'm going to try to get, be very balanced here. Um, look, on balance, I think that Kevin McCarthy's done a pretty good job here. Not a great job, you know, and I think he probably made some premature concessions. I think he could mm-hmm. have gotten a better deal, but, you know, pretty good. I mean, let's remember, Rich, that uh, four or five weeks ago, Joe Biden said, I'm never going to negotiate. Remember, right. I'm not, I'm not going to negotiate on the debt ceiling. And, you know, uh, they're going to have to force a default to get me to to negotiate. Well, we did negotiate and Republicans got some some victories, like some additional drilling. I think just about every sane person is in favor of that for our energy supply. So we don't have to depend so much on these foreign countries. Um, we got uh, a suspension on any additional uh, student loan bailouts. Now, the ones that have already been offered, we weren't able to claw back, but there's not going to be additional crazy student loan bailouts. Um, there's some modest work for welfare requirements, but not nearly as um, as uh, strict as I had hoped they would be. We've got to get people who are on welfare off the couch back into work. I'm, uh, this might have a minor impact. By the way, Rich, here's just a little aside. You know, this, these work requirements that the liberals said are going to take, you know, um, food out of the mouths of babies. That, that Do you know what the work requirement is? 20 hours a week. Rich, wow. I bet. You and I and most people listening to the show work a lot more than 20 hours a week. So, you know, this is hardly onerous. I do just about uh, that on, on, on radio, just without prep. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so I think that McCarthy, you know, got a decent deal. But if you think that this is going to, you know, solve our debt problem, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not, Rich. No way right. is this going to solve our debt problem and the overspending problem. And, you know, what I've been telling my conservative friends uh, today is, look, you want to get control of this debt. You want to get control of the six trillion dollars of additional spending that Biden has done. You know, it's going to require a new president. It's that simple. You know, as long as you've got Joe Biden in the White House, he's going to spend every single penny he can get his hands on. And then he's spending, you know, tens of trillions of pennies. So um, I'm kind of torn by this. But I think in the end, it's a modestly good deal, but I know a lot of people probably are, you know, pulling their hair out when I say that, because this is not going to solve the debt problem. 
Yeah. Now, let me ask you another question, because you're a longtime observer of these things. And you were in the Reagan White House and in the Trump White House. Did you think we were going to get a deal that would resolve our debt problem? <laughs> Good point. I've lived through a lot of these. Well, listen, um, you know, Newt Gingrich uh, did a pretty good deal with Bill Clinton, and we did. Remember, you know, three or four mm-hmm. years later, we actually balanced the budget. The only time in the last 60 years we balanced the budget was with a Democratic president and Republican Congress. So that was a good deal. I think actually John Boehner uh, delivered a pretty good deal back in 2011 um, when he became speaker and Barack Obama was still president. This one um, was a lot tougher because you had a president who didn't even want to negotiate. And so on the one hand, you know, it is uh, so here, here's an example. It is true that this will um, reduce the debt by two trillion dollars over the next 10 years over what, what it would have been. That's the good news, Rich. Now, are you ready for the bad news? <laughs> the debt's still going to go up by $12 trillion over the next right. 10 years. So instead of going up by $14 trillion, it's only going to go up by $12 trillion. I know people are going to sleep a lot better tonight knowing that. Unbelievable. Folks, we're on with Steve Moore. He's chairman at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And uh, he's, he's uh, a very experienced economist when it comes to this stuff. He was a director of the, the White House Economic Council for Trump, served in, uh, in an economic capacity in the Reagan administration as well. And we're going to come back, Steve Moore. I want to dig into a little bit of this because I realized in the grand scheme of things, and, you know, there's, there's politically speaking and there's economically speaking, and then there's like realistic, everybody that's listening speaking <laughs> that wants to know, you know, how this is going to affect them. So I want to get to that in the nitty gritty straight ahead. Don't go anywhere, folks. Give us a call, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. There are two paths here. Take up the bill that we passed. It's a good bill. It's sitting over in the Senate. They can pass it to the Senate of the President. Second, Speaker McCarthy should pull this bad bill down. We should stop taking this bill up right now. I don't think he even has a majority of his own conference at this point. We'll find out later today. He should pull this bill down, and then we should do exactly what we're doing right now. We have COVID rescissions right now. COVID rescissions are in the bill. COVID rescissions of $29 billion. They've already taken that in this bill, and they've swept $22 billion and just set it over to the Department of Commerce to spend. for play money. To spend. Take that money, take IRS money, and go tell Janet Yellen you're going to pay every bill you need to pay, and we're going to sit down at the table and do the job for the American people. But don't tell me you're going to put me over a barrel for $4 trillion because you refuse to do your job. That is what Speaker McCarthy should have told the President of the United States. That's uh, Representative Chip Roy at a press conference earlier today urging Speaker McCarthy to take down the bill because of the implications it has on Main Street. Mom and Pop, you, me, we, the people. Steve Moore is our guest. He's chairman at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity and uh, former White House economist. Steve Moore, how do you respond to what Chip Roy is saying? Uh, Well, I mean, I'm a good friend of Chip Roy's, and he's the fiscal conscience of the Congress. So thank God we have him there. Uh, mm-hmm. Look, I, I agree with a lot of what he said. I think the question you have to ask yourself, folks, is, is, 
is this the best deal Republicans could have gotten? And, you know, let, look, let's let's face it. Republicans control uh, by a very, very slim margin, one house uh, of Congress. So they, they represent they they control one half of the three uh, branches of government and the Democrats control pretty much the rest. And so, you know, they're, they're swimming up upstream. So I think under those circumstances, I mean, let's let's face it. This is the most fiscally reckless and financially reckless president we've ever had in our lifetime. I don't think anyone else. He, he makes Barack Obama look like a piker when it comes to spending money. And so um, given what the, the forces were up against, um, this may have been about the best deal we could have got. Now, how do we fix this? Folks, if you're angry about what's going on with the debt, and I can tell, Rich, you're angry. I can tell by the tone of your voice. You got to vote these mm-hmm. people out. You got to get rid of these people. I mean, we can't we can't blame, you know, Congress if we keep electing these people. Right. Yeah. I, listen, I get what you're saying. It's, it's really frustration, I think. And that's with everybody. Right. People want accountability yeah, with, with law enforcement. They want accountability with the with the fiscal mismanagement. And and I, I don't you know, I'm uh, uh, an admirer of Reagan's and uh, I believe in his 11th commandment of thou shalt not speak ill of your fellow Republican and unless it's a primary. And, and I think that, uh, I'm not here to bash anybody. I'm really not, but I, 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 I want to see better, you know, I want to see better. And yeah, I think your question was fair. Can, can we have gotten better? Maybe, maybe not. And, and I get where McCarthy's been, you know, my, my approach and people get upset with me as well, Steve, uh, because I, I worked in the Christie administration and New Jersey Republicans are, you know, it's it's not Texas, uh-huh. right? <laughs> it's it's hard to make a deal in New Jersey, and yeah, you're yeah. gonna dance with the devil to get a deal in Jersey. So I get it. You're gonna do things you don't want to do to get what you want, and that's and that's now, oftentimes Rich, what happens in Washington. Yeah, yeah. can I? I, I want to make an important point because I think sure. your listeners understand this, but uh, you know, I think a lot of people in Washington don't. Um, this idea of a default on the debt was always a completely phony argument by the by the white house they made this up there would be no default if if republicans were to walk away from this deal there will not be a default on the debt i'm so sick and tired of politicians doing this by the way uh, both uh, joe biden and his treasury secretary john yellen not only went around the country they went on around the world telling people oh we're going to default on our debt it was outrageous so I want people to and, understand. And Let's, the biggest, the biggest fear mongering point they pushed was Social Security. Exactly, and that too. But here's the point, because if you heard this talk about the Fourteenth Amendment, Rich, you know, the, oh, oh, the Democrats. What a farce! Yeah. So I want to make again, it's it's a distortion of what the Fourteenth Amendment says. The Fourteenth Amendment says basically that the debts in the United States government must be paid. That, you know, the bonds must be paid. That's why the full faith and credit of the United States government stands behind our bonds. And that's why people, you know, we have the safest bonds in the world because of the 14th Amendment. Now, the 14th Amendment does not say it does not say that the president has the authority to borrow as much money as he wants to. You know, we have a separation of powers. Congress has the power to spend money, not not the president. So if you didn't pass this debt ceiling on time, it wouldn't mean that the debts would not be paid. No, those would be the first thing. In fact, that'd make the case that Congress would have an, a constitutional obligation to pay the debts. And in fact, mm-hmm. we have seven times more revenue that comes in every day than is required to pay the interest on the debt. 
But what it would mean, and this is what Democrats don't want to admit, it would mean that, and by the way, Social Security would be paid, Medicare would be paid because they have special trust funds. Uh, so that was always a bogus argument, too. But it might mean, Rich, that we might have to cut down, shut down the Department of Education for a few weeks or shut down uh-huh. the Department of Energy for a few weeks or not too pay bad. foreign aid payments. And you know what? I think I could live with that. Me, too. <laughs> Me too. I could totally live with that. Now, Steve Moore, that's an excellent point. Uh, and, and one that I, I've, I've, I've told everybody here as well. And I'm glad you're echoing it because it's so important that people that are listening right now realize nobody's coming for your social security. You know, it's not going to happen. In fact, no. Janet Yellen had to no. walk it back and say, the first is the deadline the first. And she said, okay, the fifth is the deadline. And the, the key thing that happens between the first and the fifth is on the third of the month, all the seniors get their social security. So exactly. uh, it's, it's always been a, a phony argument. But Bharat Ramamurti, he's the deputy director, the current deputy director of the National Economic Council. He says that these spending caps can be overridden a little bit later. So I think two years are guaranteed, but there's six years that they've got. Yeah. And, and, and they can be um, waived if so. And for the benefit of the audience, yeah. I want you to hear a couple of seconds of what he had to say. Listen to this. Well, look, the reality of these spending caps is that they can always be overridden in the future if there is uh, a really strong need for something. We saw it with Ukraine, where we got additional funding as necessary to support uh, the efforts in Ukraine. Uh, We've seen it in the past when we need additional money for uh, natural disasters or or whatever the case may be. Look, the reality of governing is that you make a plan, you do your best to to make a common sense plan, and then you deviate from it as necessary, depending on the needs of the country. Uh, The president is realistic about that. But again, this level of defense funding reflects what the Pentagon thinks is a, an adequate level of funding going forward. So we're satisfied with that level as well. Now, listen, I, I don't like this idea that Biden can choose to waive the spending caps that that are, that aren't that they're not concrete and they're not solid. What, what's your thought on this? Well, a couple observations. I want to make a big picture point. You know, throughout our history, um, we've had crises and we've had, you know, big events where government uh, had to spend a lot of money. And that included that goes back to the founding of our country, Rich, you know, with the Revolutionary War, where we mm. borrowed a lot of money at that time to, to pay for the war to, to gain our independence. And, and so the debt went up. And the same thing happened after the Civil War. And the same thing happened uh, during World War One and during the Great Depression and World War Two and even the Cold War. And when those crises were ended, the debt went down. So why do I say that? Because this is the COVID ended two years ago. If this were, uh, if we had the same president right now, we wouldn't be talking about running deficits. We should be running surpluses, Rich. I mean, the crisis is over. You know, I really liked, I'm kind of hardcore on this. I like Rand Paul's observation. Instead of going back to the 2022 levels of spending, why don't we go back to the 2019 levels of spending before COVID shores and we spent $4 trillion we didn't have. So the the idea that we're going to borrow $2 trillion this year is abhorrent to me. What are we borrowing Mm -hmm. $2 trillion for? There's no crisis. 100% right. Steve Moore, let everybody know how they can find you and follow you and support the work you're doing. Well, thanks, Rich, for having me, and and I hope I, we've been able to shine some light on this, on yeah, this uh, right. crazy world we're living in. So, uh, if people want to get our, our free Committee on Unleashed Prosperity uh, hotline, just go to the website Committee on Unleashed Prosperity. You can be the smartest person in the room, and it, it costs you nothing. It's absolutely free. Outstanding, Steve Moore. Godspeed to you, sir. Thanks for being with us. 
And folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Check them out, committee to unleashprosperity.com and sign up for that newsletter. I'm Valdez. I'm coming right back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. Rich Valdez. Our telephone number is 866-505-4626. That's our legacy line. Of course, uh, you're always welcome to call on that. 833-4-VALDEZ. And you can chime in online, social media, at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the platforms. Now it's time to talk about the language of love. I'm looking at an article in Bustle, bustle bustle.com. It says, the three Zodiac signs who have the most success on dating apps. And I thought, first of all, wow, what an interesting article. I never would have thought there was an article addressing this. Uh, but it goes into talking about cancers and, and Leos and Virgos having the best success on dating apps. But to me, it, it opens up the door to this larger conversation and a book by Janice Gant. She's a licensed professional counselor and relationship expert. Uh, and the name of the book is Prince Charming is Dead. Or in rehab, a guide to dating in the real world. And I thought, what an interesting topic, because obviously, you know, divorce is on the rise. You've got less and less people getting married and more and more people using dating apps as opposed to actually meeting people because of many different things. And I thought, man, this is a conversation that we need to have. So feel free to jump in, 833-482-5337. Janice Gant, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I love the title of your book. And uh, tell us a little bit about the namesake. How did you come up with the name and why? Well, uh, the the reason why I came up with the name was that because so many people are looking, particularly women, are looking to be rescued. And they we're, we are raised with fairy tales. Snow White and and Cinderella and we are things have changed so much and now women have come such a long way that we have to realize that we are not looking for somebody to rescue us we're looking for somebody to partner with us and so I when I was thinking about it I thought okay well you know really Prince Charming is dead he does not live and then I thought oh well he could be in rehab so then I came up with the title and I was like, yeah, this kind of says it all. <laughs> well, I think it's a clever title. And what's Thank your you. take on who killed Prince Charming or what? I, well, I think that Prince Charming w- left or was killed because women have gotten to the point that we don't really want somebody that thinks that they can control us or that they need to give us money or they need to tell us how much we can spend or what we can buy or what we can do. And so it just made so much sense that we have evolved out of the fairy tale world and relationships are, you know, I always tell my clients that good relationship is not something that just happens like 
sprinkly dust from heaven that comes down. It's mm-hmm. the implementation of a set of skills. So a good relationship is something we do, but not necessarily something that just happens to us. Right. Now, it, is it your, um, I guess, um, position that Prince Charming's job was not that of finding the glass slipper and bringing it back to Cinderella or giving Snow White a kiss and awakening her from her slumber, but more so the things that you mentioned, like controlling and things like that? Cause I, I don't remember Prince Charming being very controlling. I don't think so either, but I think that the the woman on the receiving end of that was looking for somebody that was going to rescue her from her family or from not, you know, not scrubbing floors or something like that. So I don't think that Prince Charming's motive was to be a total jerk or to be overly controlling. But I think what women have done historically is given men their power by not realizing that they can too bring money to the table if that's what the couple decides to do so that we are really more equal partners instead of somebody rescuing us. Right. And I think just the, the, the changes in society have done that we have more, I, I believe you have more and more, um, more and more two income households today than you did when I was a kid. Uh, now let's talk about the, the guide, right? The guide to dating in the real world. What are some of the practical tips that you have for our listeners that are in the dating world, myself being among them. Oh, are you in the dating world? Yes, I've been divorced for 12 years. I I date like a professional sport. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Well, I hope you win. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think that I think that one of the most important things that we have to do in a relationship in order to make sure that we have a good, effective relationship is we need to have some really honest discussions about money. And we need to do it clearly before you get married, because the way we spend money or what we think we are supposed to have in order to live the life we want to live, or what is our our history around the finances that we've done? What's your credit report like? And we don't really talk about a lot of those things, but when a couple comes to me for premarital counseling, that's one of the things that I do. I suggest that they uh, talk about their debt, that they talk about their income, that they know what their partner is making, and that they actually see. I suggest that they give one another five years of income tax returns so that they wow. know that there's not some debt out there. Interesting. Well, I want to continue on that, if you don't mind, in the next segment, uh, because I think that's a a thread I want to pull on and and get a little uh, better understanding of. Folks, we're on with Janice Gant, and uh, she's the author of the book Prince Charming is Dead or in Rehab, A Guide to Dating in the Real World. Janice Gant, stick around. Folks, if you have a question for her, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. And 64% of people say they're financially incompatible with their partner. Many people have adopted a new motto when it comes to dating, saying no money, no honey. So now the question is, is it tacky to ask people if their uh, finances are in order on a first date? Well, some say it's a shallow approach. I don't know. Our guest, she might have the answer, Janice Gant. She's a licensed professional counselor and the author of the book, Prince Charming is Dead or in Rehab, A Guide to Dating in the Real World. Janice Gant, what say you? Is it tacky to ask if, um, you know, are you saying that we should be exchanging those five years of tax returns on the first date or is that something we build our way up to? I think that we build our way up to it. I don't think that we have to be totally transparent from the very first date. But I think that after you've dated somebody for, you know, three to six months, then you start thinking, oh, this could be something, someone that I want to spend a lot more time with and maybe even marry. But if we, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of vulnerability to really expose yourself financially. So I don't know that I would do it on a first date. As a matter of fact, I can tell you I would not give somebody my financial history or anything right from the get-go but after a couple of months if you start thinking this could be somebody that I want to spend a lot more time with then I think it is kind of essential because it it our value system is a lot of it based around finances like what do you what do you dream of doing do you want to travel do you want to build a house so that you so that you're not setting yourself up for failure in the relationship because you present it as do, doing and wanting to do things that are not really logistically possible. Let's say you're in school and you're not actually bringing in much income. So it's, it is important that you start relatively early in the relationship to talk about money. All right. So, and I'm not disagreeing with you. <clears throat> I just, I think it's a novel concept for many people. What would this be like? You know, so if I'm sitting across, you know, from a girl I've been out with three times and, you know, I really love your hair. You have a great smile. You have a great sense of humor. So um, what's your 401k looking like? Like, How do you broach that topic? <laughs> Very carefully and bravely. I think that one of the things that you could say is you talk about your job. Okay. So, so tell me more about your job. And they say, well, you know, I'm an, invest an investment banker or I'm a school teacher. And so then you start getting an idea of perhaps where this person could be financially. And then when you, when you realize that, you say, so, okay, so what do you daydream your life to look like in 10 years? And then you start, you start futurizing some with someone, and that can bring you into some discussions about money that are not right out of the chute to saying, okay, well, so if are you a school teacher? Do you only make $50,000 a year? How, do, how can you save money? You know, and so it, you don't know, I would not reveal those sort of details until you get further in, but I think there's a lot of ways that you can start to discuss goals and things that you want your you want to bring into your life and that will give you an opportunity for people to say you know yeah well hopefully within 10 years I'll have be making more money and I'll be able to travel more or whatever that is so you're not going to go 
at the very beginning and start talking figures. Right. And, and I guess I'm thinking big picture here is uh, this is very new. Right. And I don't think anybody's ever. And if some people have kudos to them. But I know in, in my lifetime and I'm 45 now, I haven't heard much conversation about uh, finances until well into a relationship, you know. And and I, I just think it's it seems to me this is something that we've really never done before. And do you think if we start doing it, we'll create more stable couples? We'll see an increase in the people that get married and stay married? Uh, or do you think it'll have any impact at all? I, you know, I do think that it could impact the, the longevity of relationships because it's based on truth and, and honesty. And so, you know, I do think that it is a real thing. I mean, money is a real thing. And if we if we treat it like it's something that is under the rug or that we're going to sweep under the rug, then I think you're setting yourself up for some disappointment. And I think I that it is it's different now because we've all come a long way. You know, there are a lot of men who don't want to pay for every single thing that a woman is going to spend money on for the rest of their life. And then or a woman that wants to have a big a say in where the money is going to go. So I think it's more of a, uh, it's, it's not so taboo anymore because we realize it's important. It's part of life. Yep. I agree with that. I do agree with that. And I, I guess the other side of that is critics. You know, there are going to be some critics that say that we're, this is a step towards creating a modern day caste system or even uh, the, the current administration recently uh, implemented a rule saying that certain minorities have lower lower um, credit scores so that th- they need to get a, a break on getting uh, the ability to get a mortgage. And if we start, you know, basing our dating preferences on people that have good credit, are we going to be called a racist or some sort of uh, other discriminatory term? And well, what do you say to critics that, you know, present issues like that? Well, I I can see their point around that. But I do think that if you are talking about, you know, I mean, you're not going to go out with somebody. I wouldn't go out with somebody, you know, three times and then ask them what their credit score is. But I Mm -hmm. wouldn't marry somebody without wondering about it. You know, so 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 I think that you're going to ease into some of that. But I don't I don't think that we're setting ourselves up for any sort of, of judgmental postures around certain races or anything like that, because I think it's just a matter of checking out wh- what's your value system around money and where are we going to be if we decide, let's say you've gone out with somebody seven or eight times and you think, you know, I really like this person, then I think you can start to having some conversations about what do you daydream about and what are your values around your spending? Do you like to save money? Do right. you, you know, so then you start to share some of that information. Yeah. Excellent points. Let me remind everybody that we're on with Janice Gant. She's a licensed professional counselor and the author of Prince Charming is dead or in rehab, a guide to dating in the real world. Great title. Janice Gant. I want to thank you for being with us. Let everybody know how they could get a copy of the book and follow the work that you're doing. 
Oh, thank you so much. Amazon has it. <laughs> and I'm right now I'm in the in the process of recording the audio book as well. So you're going to have my West Texas accent reading the book. <laughs> it's charming. Yeah. Well, uh, and is there a website uh, for the book or for your for your practice or the work that you're doing? Uh-huh. You can go to JaniceGant.com. And it will come up. I also uh, participate in a in a podcast called The Remedy with Tova and Janice. So there are several ways to reach me. But um, but yeah, the book's available on Amazon. And um, and if and, and if if somebody wants to get in touch with me, they can send me a, they can send me a an email at JaniceGant. Right. Yeah, perfect. Uh, I'm just going to remind them it's Janice Gant, and that's Gant, G-A-U-N-T, JaniceGant.com. Janice, thank you for your time this evening. We really appreciate it. Godspeed to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I loved it. (laughs) Me too. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to get to your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez, who again will do a fine job, and I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, so there it is. You want to go on a date? Give me your credit report. That's what's up. And I'd like a copy of your 401k statement as well. I need to know what's going on. If you don't got money, get away. I don't know. I'm just being facetious. It's it's a relatively new. I've never, ever in a million years thought of asking a woman, um, you know, her financial situation. Uh, it was just not one of the things. It was always, you know, does she have a nice smile? Does, you know, religion is is one of the criteria, your thoughts on family. But it makes sense. But she brought up that, you know, you could, yeah, hey, are you a saver? Do you like to invest? You know, what do you do? What's your uh, financial fetish? And um, find out what's going on. Anyway, let us go to the phones. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Nancy. She's in uh, Tumwa, Iowa. KBIZ. Nancy, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, You're welcome. I wanted to comment that lady that wrote this book about relationships, mm-hmm. I think she's right on with, with what she's talking about. Yeah. I I enjoyed listening to her. My comment is nowadays people get lust and love mixed up. I think you're right. Like a man will jump a girl in bed and then say, oh, I love you. That's That's <laughs> not love. That's lust. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the culture lends itself to that, and uh, we're all guilty of it. I know I am. And it's uh, it's just one of those things that happens. And I think the the further away we get from 
what love is. And something that she mentioned, and it's, it's a great point to reinforce what you're saying, Nancy. She said, you know, a good relationship doesn't happen. It's something that we do. I think the same thing of love, right? It's, it's not a, a feeling or a state as much as it is a verb where we are actively loving our spouse or our girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever and what have you. So, yeah, excellent point. Nancy from Ottumwa, Iowa, KBIZ. Now, the phone lines are open. We're going to head into open phones at the top of the next hour. That's just a few short minutes away. So get your calls in now. Get them in early, 833 833- 482-5337-833, the number four, Valdez, and that's Valdez with an S. Keep it locked right here. We're coming right back. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and it's my pleasure to be here with you on this late-night national town hall forum that we have. Our phone number, if you want to join us, 833-482-5337. Get in while there's still open lines, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And as you may know, if you've listened to this program for any length of time, My least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, also known as AOC, All Out Crazy. And All Out Crazy recently uh, sponsored some legislation with Congressman Matt Gaetz. And this was uh, a team effort that they did to ban stock purchases amongst members of Congress. That seemed right. It seemed fair. It made lots of sense. But this is somebody who doesn't always make sense, right? Good old AOC. She, um, in my opinion, doesn't always make sense. But she um, recently said that who really even stops to think of how much the government's doing for them? Like nobody says the government's doing too much for them, right? Listen to this. What this debt ceiling uh, debate really is about is the fact that they have run up a bill, Republicans have run up a bill that they now do not want to pay. They have run up this bill with extremely excessive military spending. They have run up this bill with extraordinary tax cuts for the wealthiest people in this country. And now when it comes down to time to pay for this bill, they, they do not want to pay it. Now, you've heard all night long people calling in saying how the Republicans are up in arms about this bill. And you hear AOC saying that she's like, I am not I am not um, happy with the Republicans running up this bill and now trying to not pay it. Well, guess what? She's expected to be the only Democrat to vote no on the spending package. So first, she's sponsoring legislation with Matt Gates. 
Now she's voting with the Republicans. My producer was just asking me, if do we smell a party switch coming? <laughs> now, of course, we don't. I think uh, she's a real dyed-in-the-wool communist sympathizer, and we'll get to some communism a little bit later. But good old AOC all-out crazy. She's also very, very, very upset about a parody account that's been mocking her. So not only is she voting with Republicans and sponsoring a legislation with Republicans uh, to end corruption with, uh, you know, inserted trading and whatnot, she now is warning her t- Twitter followers that this uh, parody account is posting as her and she's saying that Elon Musk, her nemesis, is engaging with it. This is a report in the New York Post. Uh, saying, FYI, there's a fake account on here impersonating me and going viral. <laughs> the Twitter CEO has engaged it, boosting its visibility. It's releasing false policy statements, and it's gaining spread. I am, there's a quote from her, I am assessing with my team how to move forward. In the meantime, be careful of what you see. Now, this joke account labeled AOC uh, press release, it's a parody account, responded minutes later mocking the progressive firebrand over over her um, serious reaction, what they're calling an overly serious reaction, and uh, they were snarky about it, saying, after brainstorming with my staff, I'm going to push Congress to make it illegal to joke, laugh, or make fun of me. <laughs> uh, parodies should be illegal. That's funny. Well, that's what's going on with AOC, and we're going to continue our conversations and topics uh, from earlier in the evening, but I don't want to leave anybody on hold forever. So as we um, work our way through all of the calls that are on the on the line, 833-482-5337 is the number. Let us check in with John in Reno, Nevada, listening online, Rich Valdez, AmericaAtNight.com. Great website. John, go for it. Hey, Rich. Uh, the other day, Governor Sununu of New Hampshire said that now is the time for all people in the Republican primary to attack Donald Trump. And this belief is predicated on poll results that show that Donald Trump can't beat Joe Biden right now, whereas DeSantis and possibly others can. Um, uh, but unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, Donald Trump is pulling away in the Republican primary with his lead. Um, I guess those people believe that he will eventually be able to beat Biden. Um, what is your opinion? Yeah, well, here's the thing. I think, you know, polls are really tricky at this stage of the game because there hasn't even been, you know, any, any votes in, in a primary as of yet. But I, I look at the polls and we had um, John McLaughlin on last week and it's worth listening to that episode. If you haven't, you could check it out at com. He made some really salient points in that the some of the most recent polling that's out there shows Trump really ahead. I mean, he's up like 30-something points in, in one poll. Uh, I think it was the ABC poll or the Harvard-Harris poll. In the other poll, he was like 23 points ahead. So when you have this poll that says in a hypothetical matchup uh, between Trump and Biden today, I don't know how much stock I can put in the. I mean, I'll, I'll take it at face value the way I take the rest of them, but I, I don't know how accurate it is because whenever it's, if this were held today, it's not held today, right? I mean, it's literally the day after Memorial Day today. And, and this is from a couple of days ago. But my point is, I don't think people are even in, in campaign mode. 
You know, I mean, we didn't even have a debt ceiling uh, deal yet. Now we do. There's a lot that still has to kind of unfurl. And 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 Trump is just doing his thing. I mean, he's talking about policy, right? He's out there today talking about policy, about how he's going to create policy to end birthright citizenship. Whereas you've got Biden that's out there saying, I'm not going to negotiate with McCarthy. We're not going to budge on the debt limit. He cut his trip short, came back to negotiate with McCarthy, stepped away, came back again, met with McCarthy again. So, I mean, it's clear to me Biden doesn't have the upper hand here. So while people may want to say that, you know, he, he can beat Trump right now, I would hope a sitting president would poll that way. Uh, but I just don't know that that's a reality, a political reality for him, him being Biden, President Biden, uh, moving further you know, down the line. I think that'll, that will begin to dissipate. And this is why we're not seeing so much enthusiasm around the Biden reelection. That and the fact that Memorial Day really kind of kicks off summer and most of the campaign season kind of uh, gets kicked into high gear following Labor Day. So I think we're going to have a few months of, you know, people trying to shine in the Republican primary. But I don't think Biden's going to do anything until probably September. That's my thought. John, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody listening in Reno, Nevada. Your calls and more on the debt limit and everything else, uh, including dating somebody with really low credit. We're going to get to that in a moment. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We will continue with your thoughts on all of our topics let us go now to Dothan, Alabama, WDBT, and check in with our friend Lisa. Lisa, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Well, thank you, Rich, for taking my call. I appreciate it. Um, I was listening earlier to the, the counselor who was saying, you know, tell people your credit score, you know, four or five months in, this, that, and the other. And I understood the point you were making as far as, you know, not necessarily being called racist, but, you know, being a little more particular as far as, oh, I can't date you because you're not a 500 credit score or right. you know something to that effect. You know, I've, I've worked very hard in the last 15 years to build my credit score up from, you know, say 400 to um, over 750. It, it takes a lot of of it takes a lot of, of, of effort and a lot yeah. of thought, and you have to decide between your wants and your needs. Um, that 200 credit score that I might be sitting across the table from having dinner may not have the financial knowledge or, you know, the, the self-restraint, may, ne- may never have had it 
taught to them or put into them that this is how you get the things you want in life. Yeah, that, that fiscal discipline. But what I'm thinking here is, you know, it's never been a thought to me. Honestly, it never was. It wasn't when I got married, and it, it's never been on any date I've been on. But uh, I can tell you, and I, I understand the importance of it, but I just can't help but think, you know, I, I'm typically not attracted to somebody based on their financial situation, pro or con, you know, up or down, good or bad. Uh, it's I'm usually looking for something else, like, you know, somebody that's good looking, somebody that's fun to talk to, that type of thing. And, and, um, I, I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot of people like me, but I'm guessing there's also a lot of people that are not like me, kind of like my uh, my ex-wife, right? And she was very future-minded. I live in the moment. I'm here. I'm like, that's why I love live radio, because I love to be in that moment. But she was very um, focused on retirement, on, you know, where do we buy our retirement home? Where do we do this? How do we do that? R- really, and again, that's not a detriment. That's a big plus. Um, so I realize there's good people like that. And I think people like that compliment one another, right? People that don't look that far down the road. And then there's people that live down the road mentally. They're just always in, down in the future. And uh, I think you need both, right? It's both and in order to have a, a good combination. But I agree with you. I think it could be a, a very difficult situation to get into a relationship with somebody. And then there's a financial issue and you can't, um, you, you don't know what to do. And it's like sprung upon you. And on the other side, there's also, you know, the, the woman of your dreams or the man of your dreams, the person that you might love the most in life and might love you the most in life might be somebody that's, you know, just financially undisciplined and uh, might need help in that area. So, again, I, I don't think there's a, a solid um, answer on this, but I think it's really a choice that each individual has to make and say, you know, I know what I need. And I know if this person can't balance their checkbook or if they like to, to bounce checks or if they can't figure out how to do X, Y and Z and get everything done, bills paid on time, then they're probably going to drive me crazy and this will never work. And I think it's really about self-awareness and, and one and, you know, knowing oneself, if that makes any sense, Lisa. It, it really does. And, you know, you were saying that you were on the dating scene and stuff like that. And I'm like, golly, I wish I was 12 years younger. You know, <laughs> I also wish I lived closer to New York, but I don't. Oh, you're too kind. Um, you're too kind. Well, if, if I'm ever in Dothan, Alabama, I will try and reach out because I do want to get uh, to the south this summer. But it, I appreciate it. Very sweet of you to say that, Lisa. Thank you for the call. Big shout out to everybody on WDBT, Dothan, Alabama, in the building. Let us continue. Let's go to uh, my buddy Paul. Paul is in Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ, a regular and OG on this program. Paul, what's going on, my man? Hey, what's happening, Rich? Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, yes, yeah, sir. I'd just like to go real quick to um, Biden and the 87,000 uh, IRS agents. Well, Ooh. you know, I was kind of against that at first. Yeah, yeah, I was against that. But then I got to thinking about it. And I said, you know what? Go ahead and do it, Joe, because I hope one of the first people, the first family he, that the IRS investigates is his family. Okay? <laughs> um, because they dropped the, there was like a committee, and they dropped like six of them and said, no, we're not going to investigate Hunter, you know. Yeah, and, exactly. Um, go ahead, do it, Joe. You know, what What makes them separate from uh, us Americans, you know? And, and I think they're a corrupt family. I mean, it's been proven. It's been hidden. And I would like to see them do that, you know. So watch what you do, Joe. Watch what you say. Go ahead and hire those agents, and I hope you're the first one they come after. 
And then I got something to say about your dating, if you would. But uh, could I have your comment yeah, go on right that? Ahead. Well, I, I, I do. I just want to, yeah, I want to chime in on that and say, you know, this has been what I've, I've felt from early on, and not with that particular topic, but in general, when the Democrats have really pushed the envelope on a number of things. For example, um, when they said Trump has to show his tax returns, they kept creating these precedents that only made sense if you hated Trump. If you didn't hate Trump, it's not a good deal. And and this is one of those things where it's like, hmm, what's going to happen when they use this against them? Right. They're going to eventually Republicans are going to get in and they're going to do the same thing. It's going to be retribution and payback. And this is why you should never go that way. It's kind of like the um, mutually assured destruction idea uh, with nuclear weapons. You know, you don't start none and there won't be none. But. Lamentably, the Democrats decided to continue to cross the line, and there you go. And that's where we are. So I think you're right with that, and it may end up coming to bite him in the butt. Uh, what's your uh, other point, Paul? Well, just on uh, dating, um, I'm not going to tell. Uh, I've been with my wife for 44 years, so I don't really have to worry about that. But um, uh, I would not tell her all about my finances, you know, within the first six months or, or even a year. Because you know, um, I I want to feel her out. You know, I want to I want to know um, what you know. I don't really now listen care until you're married. That. You shouldn't be feeling anything. All right, that's this is a PG thirteen show, Paul. Oh well, I, I'm just saying that uh, you know if you're if you're going to date, uh, uh, in your situation, you know I know you are. And um, but you know, Rich, you uh, you sound like a very accomplished man. You probably got a lot of money. And, you know, I would just, you know, there's a lot of hacks out there. You know what I'm saying? Um, it, yeah. It's just, um, it's a little worse than it used to be. And that's how I feel about that. Well, yeah, and it's a good point. And, you know, and, and it, this opened my eyes to some new stuff. And I, I wish I had a bunch of money. But I'll tell you this. <clears throat> you know, when, when it comes to women, I'm like a connoisseur, right? I really enjoy the, the dating process. I, I like meeting the people. I like getting to know them. I like understanding new things and different takes on life. And, um, and and finances is really the last thing I think about, um, to be frank with you. But it is a consideration people should have. And I guess I think of that way because, I don't know, I, you know, I, I had a condo. I bought a house. Uh, it did that young. And um, and now I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know. Who, who wants to buy anything right now anyway? <laughs> Rates are incredibly high. It's probably a better time to rent, even though rents are really high. Uh, but, you know, you could, you could have fun. And that's where I'm, I'm kind of at, like, you know, adult playground mode in, in my mind. So... Uh, that's what I'm looking to do in life is just hang out in fun places, but it's an interesting thing. You know, when I was younger, that would probably have been a really big consideration, but I think my ex-wife was a lot more, uh, focused on that stuff for both of us and, um, and did a good job there. And as long as I worked and brought home the bacon and she worked and brought home her bacon, you know, she made sure it all worked together. But yeah, excellent point. It, It really is. There, there are people that, uh, are unscrupulous. There are people that do things the wrong way. And then um, there's people like me that are, you know, head in the clouds. And that's why the old saying, right, I used to work for a college president. And he used to tell me, Richie, it's OK to keep your head in the clouds as long as you keep your feet on the ground. And I thought that's a great saying because, you know, I am a, I'm a, such a big picture thinker. Sometimes uh, I, I tend to live up there. Paul, thank you very much for your call. My brother, God bless you. Good to talk to you. And we're going to get to the rest of your call straight ahead. 833-482-5337-8334-Valdez. And you're not going to believe what Sonny Hostin from The View had to say. 
It seems like the love for communism, or at least the sympathy for communism, it gets thicker and stronger each day. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ. different I have a similar theory and and it's borne out when you look at the studies and when you when you read books like uh, a book that came out a long time ago about she owned owned property as well meaning white women owned slaves as well um, I, I think that women white women in particular want to protect this patriarchy here because it's to their benefit yeah. they want to make sure that their husbands do well they want to make sure that their sons do well they want to make sure that their children do well and they want to make sure that they do well most of the women and some of these studies are married white women and they do fall in line with what their husbands are doing what their how their what husbands are the voting Cuom- continued cuomo support among women female voters or mm-hmm. bill clinton support i think i think the part of that oh thank you that's nice <laughs> i have a I think I think part part of that is is to Joy's position. They think that those uh, that the policies of let's say a Clinton is going to yes. is is in line with their policies. I think with white female Republicans, you have a Republican Party that is taking away your health right to decide for but yourself. Now, Sunny Hostin, I want to know when you go on a date, and I'm sure you're married, but when you used to go on dates, do you ask them? Excuse me, sir. Ma'am, may I call you, sir? That type of thing. You know, do you ask them for their credit report? Because this is fascinating. Everything is about racism. Everything is about the patriarchy. White women only vote Republican because that's what their husbands want them to do. Fascinating. It really blows me away. But it doesn't surprise me because not too long ago, Hanoi Jane was on their program. And she's back in the news today blaming white men and racism for climate change for arrest, and for jail. So all bad things in life come from the white man. Now, I I talk about this because this is a silly issue, but this is prevalent in all communist movements. Now, people are Rich, why do you have to find a commie behind every bush? I'll tell you why. Because, you know, in a few short days, we are going to, um, here in New York, celebrate National Puerto Rican Day. All right, this is where we... uh, we, we honor the, the Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico and those that are in New York. And there's more Puerto Ricans in New York than there are in Puerto Rico. And, and it's, it's a fun time. It's a great festival. I love the culture. I grew up with this stuff. And, and I can tell you that so many people that are malcontent and hate everything will tell you it's because of white, the white man. It's colonialism. It, it's literally the same talking points of Che Guevara in Cuba. And here you have Jane Fonda saying it's white men that, be, that are responsible for racism, climate change, arrest, and jail. 
And you've got Sonny Hostin uh, saying it's white women only voting for Republicans because that's what their husbands want. But before they become husbands, they are their boyfriends, right? And we've been talking about dating and all sorts of stuff and the debt limit and everything else. So we're going to continue your calls, and I want your reaction on these people as well. Let's go to Matt. He's uh, very close to Moorhead City, North Carolina, WTKF. Matt, go for it, my man. Hello, Rich. Great show. Thank you, sir. May I comment on the Kevin McCarthy and the debt ceiling? Go right ahead. What's on your mind? Okay. As a CIO, I was thinking, look, let's look what Kevin McCarthy has to deal with. Uh, old, senile, corrupt, president name only, Joe Biden. So I was giving him credit for trying. That's what I do with my employees. And I have to, if the man is trying, I was taught decades ago, on my first real boss, he has to give him credit because he's trying. Now I'm hearing all kinds of things against McCarthy because he did not fight. He did not fight against hiring 87,000 new IRS agents, another drain on our economy. And Paul from Zanesville had a very good idea a little few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. He said, it'd be great if the new agents would have to corrupt old Biden first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, listen, I think that's a lot of agents. And how can they be certain they're going to get a bunch of friendly, you know, um, Democrat sympathetic agents? Right. You never know. They might just get the the wrong guy. And uh, that's the guy that wants to go. Now, we've seen what happens with the wrong guys. They become those whistleblowers that we saw in the FBI where they get ostracized and they eventually get ousted. But, um, yeah, it's it's not a it's not a great situation. Uh, I don't think it's the end of the world. Listen, you know, there's going to be more battles that we have to fight. And I think on a number of them, McCarthy's done well. Um, I don't think he's done badly here. I just don't think he did as as good as he could have done, in my opinion. I don't know how how good he could have done. I don't know if it was a matter of skill or a matter of pressure or a matter of leverage. Um, I think, you know, he was trying to make sure he got something out of this and didn't want to walk away with making things worse than they had to be. And I think he felt he went as far as he could. And uh, others are saying, no, you could have gone further. And I, I don't know the answer to it, but I do know I wish we could have gotten a little more. And I understand your frustration. I, I share it with you, Matt. Can I make one more comment, sir? Sure. Okay. People, a lot of us are old enough to remember Alan Greenspan. Around the year 2000, oh, yeah. I told you, Cole Screener. Around the year 2000, he said, not America must not default on its debt. He said, it's impossible. I just heard that Tuesday afternoon. That uh, quote from Alan Greenspan, who I thought was good. What do you, What was your opinion? You were about 21, I think. Honestly, I, that uh, 21, I was in a nightclub hanging out, having a good time, and, and then uh, becoming a dad very shortly after that uh, when I got married. Um, so I couldn't tell you. But but I can tell you that we we – we need to stay away from increasing the debt limit. And to me, that that's the key part of this. It's, it's totally irresponsible for us to continue to spend more and spend more and spend more. And uh, earlier we had Steve Moore on and Moore mentioned that he um, liked what Senator Rand Paul had to say. And so do I. And what he was saying was this whole deal is based on rolling things back to uh, pre 22 limits, like 21 and uh, he, you know, Rand Paul is saying, let's bring it back to totally pre-COVID because we don't have COVID anymore. 
and let's not fund any more of the COVID liabilities. And that's it. Let's just go back to like 2019 spending, which was, you know, pre six trillion dollars in COVID spending and American Rescue Plan, all that stuff. So I like that plan, too. I think we should go back to the 2019 spending levels way better than where we are right now. I don't know if that's a realistic thing. I think that's part of why so many of us that observe politics are oftentimes frustrated is because we we become utopian in our outlook, right? We realize that that'll never happen, right? It won't happen, but uh, we, we tend to think it can. Like, I, I realize that we might get a government slashing president one day that might, you know, maybe shrink the executive branch a little bit or maybe have enough leadership to get Congress to, to tighten the, the, the purse strings and, and not fund certain departments and, and shrink government. But just as I'm saying it, I really just don't see that happening, right? But I do think we can get some tax cuts and I do think we can get a better economy and I think we can uh, undo some of the crazy like student loan forgiveness and things like that. I think we can do that and that's a good move and a good look for America. Matt, I got to hit a break here, but I thank you for calling in from WTKF. Big shout out to you and everybody in North Carolina. Don't go anywhere. The rest of your calls and more when we return. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. No hair, no care, and live on the air, it's Rich Valdez. All right, so we found the quote from Alan Greenspan. I'm going to share it with you. It's from 2011, and uh, here it goes. The United States can pay any debt it has because we can always print money to do that. So there is zero probability of default in the case of the United States. Default is absolutely impossible. That's Alan Greenspan, who uh, I believe was Fed chair at the time. And what's interesting to me here is it's this exact thinking that we could have as much debt as we like, as we could print more money that got us into the mess that we're in right now with inflation, devalued currency, et cetera, and et cetera. And, and this is why they try to continue doing what they do. Say, no, don't worry. We'll print more money. We'll borrow more money. We'll raise the debt limit. No problemo. Yes, no bueno. Big problemo. Come on. That's crazy. Anyway, let's continue our conversations on dating and the, the debt crisis and all of this craziness. Let's go to Albany, New York and check in on WGDJ with Linda. Hey, Linda, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, on the uh, dating, I remember um, a couple of friends, guys complaining to me about how we females and the concentration of finances, and it gave me something to think about. And then I saw a documentary on birds, and in Mm -hmm. one particular section, there was a female bird landed on a branch, and On each side of her, a guy bird landed, and each one of those birds had a twig in their mouth to build a um, nest with. And the bird, the guy with the thickest branch to build a good 
nest took off and she followed him. <laughs> well, there you go. As nature would have it. You know, sometimes it doesn't matter what kind of credit score you have as long as you have the biggest branch, right? Yep. <laughs> Great story, Linda. Thank you so much. All right, let us continue. Let's go to Oregon, Pendleton, Oregon. Michael, no branch stories from you. Uh, KUMA, go right ahead. Yes, Rich. Hey, uh, good talking with you again. Um, Likewise. Yeah, I just kind of putting in... Um, you know, I kind of look at this show as like a big discussion table for America. It's great to give everybody Absolutely. a chance to uh, give give their opinion, including my humble opinion on things. Um, yeah, you know, Rich, I've been a conservative um, most of my life. And like you had mentioned, we live in this age of divided government. Um, and, you know, we don't want to go into default. You know, I know you're – I mean, if that's actually possible – uh, which you just explained uh, about that. Um, but the thing is, um, coming up with something that's going to be good for America, being able to come to some kind of agreement uh, with the Democrats on that, that's what I admired about President Reagan. He was able to work with the Democrats and really do a lot of great things for America uh, back in his time. And um, I know uh, Speaker McCarthy is trying to do his best. Uh, he's in a difficult position, um, you know, and he, but he wants to uh, accomplish as much um, control of the spending as he can. I agree. I mean, if you're uh, an individual, a family, if your spending is out of control, mm -hmm. then that's, that's not going to be a good result. Oh, 100%. And look, you know, I, I, I like McCarthy. And like I said, I, I give him a lot of benefit of the doubt. I'm not, I'm not here to beat him up. Uh, the way I am here to beat up Joe El Baboso Biden, who I, I really can't stand. Um, and some would argue that what what McCarthy is doing today, a California Republican, is reminiscent of what, what another California Republican did back in the 80s. Ronald Reagan, that he's working um, in, in, a, in a more difficult situation, right? Because, you know, Tip O'Neill and, and Reagan were friendly. Uh, there, there was nothing friendly about this negotiation. Biden said, no, 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 you know. Where I come from, that's F-U, F-U, and F-U. He didn't want to play ball in any way. Now, I, I know the other side. There's some people that are more hawkish and, and uh, you know, and again, I have my days where I'm like that too, um, where I think, you know what? Go for broke. Just tell them, you know what? Shut it down then. Shut it all down. Let's default on everything. Let's see who blinks first. However, there's a political price to pay with that. And when you don't have any leverage in the media, then it's going to be very difficult. You know, on most uh, conservative um, news outlets today, there was nothing nice to be said about Kevin McCarthy. So if McCarthy's going to get trashed on right of center uh, programming, maybe not on Fox, but right of center programming, because uh, I didn't see too much bashing of him on there, but there might have been. Um, I don't see too much Fox lately because of the timing of my show, but. If if he's going to get bashed all over the place, um, we're, we're not going to get too far. So I think, you know, yeah, you got to have a you got to kind of take this with a grain of salt. And and I, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know if he should have stuck to his guns or if this would have been. And this has been my question to like every guest for the past month is, will they tie this thing around the necks of Republicans and hope that we sink? 
you know, the Republicans caused the default. And I don't believe that we can cause that default. I believe only Biden could cause that default to happen. But that's where we are, George. So I don't know. I think um, I wish Biden would have um, capitulated a little bit more to what McCarthy was asking for. And I wish McCarthy would have pushed a little harder. But I do realize it's hard to push hard when it's like David and Goliath. You know, and it seems that way. Uh, maybe I'm looking at it wrong, and um, I'm happy to take that critique from from many of my uh, listeners because it, it, I might be missing something. But um, I just I don't know, you know. And I guess some people might say, you know what? If you don't know, then you don't know, <laughs> right? The, this was the time to fall on your sword. This was your time to stand up for the generations of Americans to come and say, you know what? Hasta aquí llegamos, right? As my dad used to tell me in Spanish, this up to here. This is where we get. That's it. Uh, this is the final stop. This is where we fall on our sword. This is where we do what we got to do and push them to to take action. And I don't know if this was that fight or not, uh, but uh, clearly we didn't go that far. And and I don't know if we had to go that far, but we I think we needed to go a little bit further. George, thanks for the call. I'm sorry, not George. George is coming up next <laughs> with some vice presidential suggestions. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, it's the speed round. You're going to have 30 seconds to state your point, and it's the debt ceiling crisis. We've got a deal. Things are getting cut. Let's go to Becky in Bloomington, Illinois. W-H-O-W, go. Thank you so much for talking to me. Uh, Mm -hmm. First of all, I worked at DCFS for 10 years, and um, I saw a lot during that time, but nothing in comparison to what's going on with kids today. And then second of all, everybody that I talk to, because I'm a conservative, and everybody that you talk to, they got their uh, link card or food stamps cut. And they, I am pushing 80, and they cut mine to $23 a month. Wow. Wow. So there are some cuts going on. Now, is that a statewide cut or something that came federal to the state? Was it like a block grant? Do you know how it works? No, I don't. Uh, I go to the Center for the Blind because I'm blind. And right. we called them, and they told them that that's exactly what it's going to be, $23 a month. Now, how, you know, how are you going to feed your kids or anybody on 23 a month when our dumb politicians go home to a table spread? Yeah, no, you're not kidding, Becky. And, of course, not only are dumb politicians, but they're crooked sons as well. Godspeed to you. I hope everything improves. And I'll look into that. It might be something we could talk about on the program. Let us go to George in Topeka, Kansas. Quickly, George, go. Yes, sir. Um, I want to get your opinion on as far as vice presidential candidates. I like Ted Cruz. I like Marco Rubio. They both are well, well-spoken individuals. Do you think it'd be worth either of their... Either of I think I think away. both of them would be great at being a vice president. I just think neither of them would ever want to be a vice president. I think they're looking for the for the main gig or nothing at all. And um, and I get it. I do get it. Uh, but I think they'd both be very capable. 
Thank you, George, on KMAJ in Topeka, Kansas. And with seconds to go, uh, seconds to go in the music coming up, Tim in Sparta, I owe you a call. If you can give us a call tomorrow from Sparta, Wisconsin, WIZM, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what Hanoi Jane and Joy Behar had to say on The View. Uh, unfortunately, our producers are kicking me out with the music. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, America. I am Rich Valdez. Take care. Good night. And God bless. And keep it locked right on this station. We're coming back tomorrow. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.